Welcome to Gospel Now. Today, Pastor Ben O'Toole will teach on glorifying in Jesus Christ and not the things of this world. If you would like to follow along with today's scripture reading, it can be found in Philippians 3, 1-7. And now for the reading and teaching of God's Word. Our scripture today... Uh, comes from Paul's letter to the Philippians and chapter 3. This is about righteousness through faith in Christ. If you are able, please stand with me now as we honor God through the reading of his word. Philippians 3, 1 through 7. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, Also, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. May God add a blessing to the hearing and to the reading and now to the preaching of his word. You may be seated. In, um, in life, you see children doing something that's really a beautiful thing. Um, children like to create art to express their love for their parents. And so they draw and they paint, and they create things, and then they give these beautiful works of art to their parents. Now, the dilemma is, sometimes, in fact, usually, the art just doesn't stop, and it piles up, and it keeps coming in. And the dilemma that you face as a parent is this, what do I do with all this art? You know, there might come a day, there will come a day when the art stops, the influx of this beautiful Uh, These masterpieces won't be there, and I'll want these. And yet right now, there is such an abundance. I'm not sure what to do with these. We love that art. Um, The other day, my children and I were looking at something that we found where someone took these photographs of real-life animals, and they said, what if real life looked like children's artwork? And so I don't know how they did it, but they took like a photo of an elephant and they twisted the head and, and they stretched it. And they made it look just like the drawing in proportion. And the, the nose and the head of a, of a uh, horse was so long. Uh, so we got a good laugh out of that. But as a parent, you get these drawings, which you love. Because it's your child's heart for you. And, and you can even see how they're doing it, that they're thinking of you and presenting it to you when they were drawing it when they were coloring it, and we love it. Sometimes it's just too much. makes you happy, 
Uh, they know it makes you happy. But here's, here's our analogy, and this is where it's connected with what Jim had just said. What if, do you know the, do you know the old, uh, there, a long time ago there was a show called Leave it to Beaver. And there was a character on that show named Eddie Haskell. Okay? Now, if you're not familiar with Leave it to Beaver, Eddie Haskell, when he was around the adults, looked like a charming, upright young man. He, he yes ma'am, yes Mrs. Cleaver. And then whenever the parents were gone, he was always causing trouble. Okay? Now you have to understand the character for this analogy. Now with this children's art thing, what if someone came alongside a child, your child, and they started planting thoughts? What if a child got it in their mind from someone like Eddie Haskell that the way to keep your parents happy is you need to keep making this art? Um, the way to make your parents love you or get them to forgive you is by making more beautiful art. Now, if you saw this, and you saw this Eddie Haskell coming along your child, you would say, don't listen to Eddie Haskell. Don't listen to this guy, okay? But if a child got it in their heart that mom will only love me, mom will only be happy with me if I can give her something, or that she won't stay angry if I can do something to please her by giving her some artwork. Or if I can do something, maybe she'll love me more. She'll be more patient with me. The very thought of that is heartbreaking. Because what makes a child your child and what makes a child the object of your love is not the artwork they produce for you. It's not the things they do for you. Okay? Now, our passage today is so important because as believers, there are those that play the role that come into our minds, into our thinking, and they would influence us the way in our little analogy, Eddie Haskell would mislead the thinking of a child. Our passage today shows us that um, people will teach us to relate to God like this by doing things to make him happy with us. And that's a danger. That's a very dangerous thing. And so we're going to look at these first seven verses under three headings. Here are the three points. First, beware the dogs. Secondly, boasting in Christ. And third and finally, better banking. Beware the dogs. We'll look at verses one and two, a warning about false teachers and how they will creep in into our thinking to try to influence us. Verse 3 is our second point, boasting in Christ, the right way to relate to God. And then lastly, those last verses, better banking, an explanation to help us see the difference. So first, looking at these first couple verses, beware the dogs. The apostle says to these believers, and we can hear this same exhortation today as Windsor Baptist Church, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. By the way, rejoice in the Lord is something that he says throughout this letter. The Lord is the object of our joy, and he's telling us, and we should remember to rejoice in the Lord. He says, to write the same thing, things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. And so what's happening here as we begin chapter 3 is this. This is, Paul is starting a reminder to them of an important issue for believers. Now, as believers, we need these reminders. We need to be reminded of certain basic 
things that are true about God, that are true about us, this is one of the most important ones. He's saying, listen, I want you to remember this. It's going to be a a safeguard for you, and it doesn't bother me at all. So I'm going to just repeat this. This is something we've talked about before. And so verse 2, he says this, Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. What we have in verse 2 is a strong warning about some people that he gives, to whom he gives three titles. The first title is he calls them dogs. The second, he calls them evildoers. And the third, those who mutilate the flesh. The issue here is circumcision. Circumcision, this is a group of people that would come alongside the church and say, you have to do certain things in order to be in God's favor, in order to be saved, in order for God to love you and keep you, you have to obey him. You have to do certain things. This is a basic issue for Christians. We have to get this one right. Now, the reference here, if you want a cross-reference, in Acts chapter 15, this issue came out in the early church. And in Acts chapter 15, this is how it begins. Some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. And so what you have there in Acts 15 is what was called the Jerusalem Council. This was when they, 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 they said, what do we do with people that come to believe in Jesus and how do we relate to God's law? How do we, how do we teach people? Do they have to be circumcised or not? Do they have to do these things that the Pharisees are teaching people? You have to do them. And so the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and he said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the words, the word of the gospel, and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them. Now listen to this. This is something that Peter points out to them at that point. Having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Now what Peter is referring to there is the keeping of the law for pleasing God. If God's laws, though they are good, though they are perfect and right, where God says this is right and this is wrong, if they are to us something that we must do in order to please God, it is a yoke on our necks. It is too heavy for us to bear. We cannot keep that. We will never please God by keeping his laws. So that's what he's saying here. Now, the laws don't go away. The laws don't change. But he's saying, 
the law couldn't be kept by us, and we shouldn't put it on them as a yoke that they must bear. Now, that doesn't mean that the law is bad or anything like that. We'll get to that in a minute. What he's saying is, it's not the way to be saved. So he says in Acts 15.11, But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. So the law doesn't go away, but it's not something by which we come to God pleasing Him. If we think that way, we think that our little artwork is going to please God, and He's going to say, well, now I finally love you. And it doesn't work that way. In fact, the law has been given by God not as the means to please Him, but as the way that we are we are seeing ourselves how we really are before him. We see his holiness, and we see that we don't measure up. It's an x-ray machine. It's a mirror. It shows us this is how you stand before God. That's the great purpose of the law. It restrains sin, and it reveals sin. And it also shows us holiness um, in comparison to the sin. Now, the false idea is this. The false idea that has to be guarded against is that to be saved, you must keep the law. Now, we can look at it in general terms like that and say, yeah, of course, we agree with that. But there are ways that it can creep into our thinking. There are ways that it can creep into how we evaluate ourselves and our standing with God. This group that was proposing this teaching that you must keep God's law to be saved they became known as the circumcision party. They would say, yes, Jesus is the Messiah. He is. And a person must still be under the law to be saved. That's what they taught. So they wanted to come to Christian worship. They wanted to be among the community of believers. And here's the thing. This is where it comes into our day. The idea has never died. The thinking that we can do enough to make God happy has never died. And it's a big problem. Paul says, these are dogs. These are evil workers. These are those who mutilate the flesh. They just won't quit. And Paul is saying this, and he's saying it to us too. Watch out. Be on the lookout. Beware the dogs. They're like vicious wild dogs. They're not going to be open to reason. They will bite down on you and they will not let go. They are evildoers. They are hurting you. They are not doing good by teaching you that you have to keep the law to please God. That, in fact, is evil, he says. They are doing evil. And they are mutilators of the flesh. Literally, they hurt you physically. But he's also saying, look, these guys do violence. It's a strong word picture of what these people do. They tear you up. It's awful. Watch out for them, he says. Be on the lookout. How? How do we do that? Like, how do we, in our time, look out for this kind of thinking? Let me give you two categories. One is the the Christian culture in general, because these are warnings for the church to watch out for. In the Christian culture in general, anyone who says to you that your efforts, the things that you do, earn God's favor, is a dangerous person. The the things that they're teaching you are dangerous. One example is prosperity teachers, okay? Like Kenneth Copeland, Todd White, Joel Osteen. What they're teaching is do things to please God, 
and God will bless you with health, with wealth, with blessings. Okay? They'll say that one of the lines among prosperity teachers is you have to sow in faith and then you're going to reap something good from God. It's the same thing. You're doing something to make God happy so that he will bless you. It's like a gumball machine, but God isn't like that. Um, Now, I don't think that prosperity teachers are a huge danger to us. But just so you know, that's there. And we have to be aware of that. We have to keep on guard against that. Still, we have to be aware. Let's talk about here at Windsor. What would be a more common threat against which we should be on guard? Something we should look out for. At Windsor, here's the ways that it can present itself. Um, The idea that by keeping your life from certain really bad sins, you will remain in good standing with God. Let me illustrate that. If someone sins, let's say a really bad sin, okay? Something that we consider scandalous. Not a respectable sin. Let's choose one, okay? Let's choose adultery. Someone from our membership falls into adultery, and it becomes known. A member of our church. Our response to that person will tell us what we believe about God's favor. Now, before let's talk about before we ever see the time pass where we can see genuine repentance and um, confession of that sin. Let's say confession is there, but the, the time to prove the repentance isn't there yet. And the person is wondering, can God forgive me? Will God forgive me? Or have I sinned too much? If the answer they get is that they have gone too far and they are treated with sort of a scarlet A, okay, then we believe at that point that our good behavior is what keeps us in God's favor. If, when we see such a sin, we grieve the sin, but we work to rescue the person with truth and love. You know, uh, Galatians 6 says that if anyone falls into sin, you who are spiritual should restore them, but you have to be careful how you do it. And we need to be moving towards people that fall into to, to these big kinds of sins. Now, if that happens, what we're doing is we're saying, look, God's grace is enough. And your standing with him and your reconciliation with him and your being kept by him, even with such a terrible sin, it is enough. His grace is really enough. That Christ is enough. Can a person be forgiven? And and the question would be for us, would we, with such a person, would we say, we're going to make you jump through some hoops to prove to us, and then we're going to still keep a record of your wrongs. Like, it's still going to be there. You're still going to have that. Or can we actually see God's grace as enough to cleanse someone and to restore them to fellowship? In right time and guarding the body and guarding the integrity of their life to set them right? That is a hard question, but that's what is revealed. Here's one for us at Windsor that are are teachers or leaders, okay? This is a way that this issue could creep in. Um, If we ever, as leaders, appeal to pride in Christians as a motivator or as a source of comfort, then we become the evildoers, 
that Paul is warning against. Let me give you some examples. If you hear certain phrases, this is, this is what it means. These are some phrases. Now, you might have heard something like this. You might hear some, something like this. If you're a Christian, you won't listen to that kind of music. You know, your parents raised you right. Of course you're a Christian. You might hear this. Look at how hard you work for this church. God is very happy with you. Or, here's one. You're living the way God wants you to. Keep it up, and he will turn things around for you. Now, all of these are the dangerous idea that our performance earns God's favor. That by what we do, we can please God. It creeps in in very subtle ways. Because you know what? The world acts like this. So much in the world is merit. So much in the world is, I, I, I work so many hours, you pay me for so many hours. It's, we get what we earn. You speak a certain way, you get a certain reputation. You act a certain way, you prove yourself by your character. You're always on this merit basis. But with God, it is different. We don't please him by how we act. It's never going to be enough. All of these things are what we can call legalism. Keeping God's law in order to, to earn his favor. It's trusting in human effort. Okay, Now, if you really believe what the apostle is saying here, you will be called an antinomian. Someone will say, my cousin had a case of antinomian. You can, you can see a doctor about that. Antinomian means we don't care about God's rules, um, that we, we neglect to give attention to right and wrong or God's law, that we're actually against it and we're opposed to it. That's not true. That doesn't have to be true of you. The Apostle Paul said, I'm not under the yoke of God's law, but I'm not without God's law. It's just that it's not the way that I come into his favor. I love God's law. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law or the prophets. He said, I came to fulfill them. And what the Lord Jesus did was something that we could never do. That's getting us to our next point. So if someone calls you an antinomian, just don't let it bother you. Um, some of the best teachers, Paul himself was called this. Don't believe it. Um, love God's law. Um, learn to walk in God's ways by God's grace. Just know that it's not the way that you're going to please him. That's the line that we have to hold. So this gets us to the next point. After we, we get this first point of watch out for the dogs, beware the dogs. Next is boasting in Christ. Verse 3, I think, is the heart of these first seven verses. So it says this. We, for we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. We are the circumcision, he says. Now, what does he mean by that? He's saying, we're the, we're the real deal. That's what he's saying. He's saying we are the genuine people of God. And then he gives three marks that distinguish this, okay? He says, uh, we are the circumcision, um, the, the people that really belong to God who 
worshiped by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Three things here. He says, we are the circumcision. We are the real covenant people of God. When God gave Abraham the sign that is circumcision, do you remember what he was saying in Genesis 17? He was saying, you will be my people. I'm going to be your God. So you, the people that belong to me, you are different from everyone else in this world. And this sign draws a line. It shows the difference. And what Paul is saying is, this is the real thing that distinguishes God's people now. He says these three things. Um, The first mark of, of the true circumcision, of being the covenant people of God, God's favored people is this, we who worship by the Spirit of God. That's the first one. When we boast in Christ, it's this. We who worship by the Spirit of God distinguishes us from those who use outward modes of worship. Uh, Things like how you dress, what you eat, physical things that you do, like burning incense, ringing bells. Um, It's a distinction, like in the Gospels, like in in John chapter 4, Jesus said, those who worship the Father worship Him in spirit and in truth. It's, It's saying, The way we come to God, the way we worship Him, is not by the things that we do. It's actually a matter of the heart. It's a a spiritual thing. It's an inner thing. It's not something you can do outwardly and and please God. That's what God wants, okay? So that's the first mark. Uh, We're not just making sacrifices. We're not just doing things with our bodies. Um, We worship by the Spirit of God. Secondly, he says, it's we who glory in Christ Jesus. Now, this is the very heart of this. Boasting in Christ. That's another way to to translate glory in Christ Jesus. Boasting in Christ. If you're you're relying on the things that you do, if you're relying on the works of the flesh, the things that you do, it's like the child trying to win favor with art. What you're doing is you're saying, I believe God is happy with me because I walked that old woman across the street yesterday. And I believe God is happy with me because I read my Bible every day this year. It's it's saying, I do good things and God is pleased with me. That's what you're glorying in, if you're thinking that way. But he says, no, we glory in Christ Jesus. And so the focus goes off of us, all onto him, and we say, look at what he's done. We don't say, look at what I've done anymore. We say, look at what he has done. We look at him and we can glory, we can boast. We can say, I trust in him. I'm not confident in the things that I've done. I'm confident in him. I'm confident in what he has done. We look at him at Christ Jesus and we say, he's the one that obeyed God's law. He said, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. He always obeyed God's law. He never broke it. That's different than all of us. And we can say, he obeyed God's law, And we point at him and boast and say, and he did it for me. I'm boasting in him because he did that for me. We can look at Jesus as the one who died on the cross. And we can can read what happened. He died on a Roman cross. And according to the scriptures, he became an atonement for our sins. And we can say, look at what he has done on that cross. Not looking at ourselves anymore. We're not weighing our performance, hoping it's enough for God. We're saying, he did it and it's enough. And if he did it to pay for my sins, I know he did it right. 
We can look at Him who rose from the dead, who beat sin. He came alive again from the grave. And we can say, look at what He did. His resurrection is my life. I have hope beyond the grave. And I can boast in Christ Jesus. That is how a Christian has to think. Boasting in Christ Jesus. We can look at the promises He's given us. We sang about it. We can look at the promises that He has given us and we can say, He said, He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. No one can take me from His hand. The Father who's stronger than all holds us and no one is able to take us from His hand. He's able to keep us. He gave us these promises and we can say, He said it. That does it. And we can boast in Christ Jesus for all of His promises, for who He is, for what He has done for us. Amazing Savior. It's we who glory in Christ Jesus, boasting in Christ Jesus. And He says, and, and He draws this line because this is the threat to the church. This is what creeps in and turns our thoughts away from focusing on Christ and turns us away from boasting in Him. He says, he says and we put no confidence in the flesh. We put no confidence in the things that we do, in the good accomplishments, as wonderful as they are. We don't say or think that the things that we do please God. We reject boasting in anything else than Christ <clears throat> for God's favor towards us. So what we have here is beware the dogs, boasting in Christ. And lastly, verses 4 through 7 Better banking. And this helps us understand this. Okay, Gordon Eschker told me this morning, this is an accounting term. And he's right. He's talking in terms of an accounting, of banking, of, of a profit and a loss, of saying, let's tally this up and see how much these things are worth. Now, what the Apostle Paul is saying, using this banking analogy, he's saying, I've got a better banking system for you. Okay? I want to show you the new, the, the real gold standard. Okay? He says, though I myself have reason for such confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. What, what is the Apostle Paul saying? He's saying, look, these, these guys, they're telling you that you have to do things to please God. I can beat them all. You want to compare resumes? That's what he's saying. He's saying, I outdid all of them. I played that game. I did it my whole life until I met Christ. And look at the way he says this. Let's go through this list. He says, you want to compare resumes? Look at mine. See how they measure up to this. I was circumcised on the eighth day. That's how God told Abraham to do it in Genesis 17. That's what God said. I did it the right way. I was circumcised the right way. He says, of the people of Israel, ethnically, his heritage has great glory. The people of Israel receive the scriptures, the prophets, the promises. They're God's chosen people. Paul could say, I am ethnically Israel. And he said, even better than that, I'll even go a little better. He says, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. So Paul says, as a matter of fact, where God's favor and his blessings rested more than on other tribes, that's my tribe. I came from that neighborhood. That's my family, my pedigree. And he even says more about that. He says, and you know, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. There were Greek-speaking Jews they were a little notched down below the Hebrew-speaking Jews. But Paul got his pedigree from Hebrew-speaking Jewish parents. He was a Hebrew of Hebrew parents. Okay, He says, you know what, let's turn to the law. As to the law, 
a Pharisee. Okay, now Paul says this. Everyone knew Paul was an outstanding Pharisee. Paul studied under the best rabbi of his time, a man named Gamaliel. Paul got the top marks in Hebrew school. Paul was studying the law, and he was exceeding everyone else. When he was in class, when he was getting his PhDs, he outperformed everyone. And so Paul says lightly here, as to the law, a Pharisee. Pharisees are the holy ones. They work hard to keep God's rules. And I was better than all of them. That's what I did. And he says, oh, and as to zeal, I persecuted the church. I didn't just talk the talk. I was a man of action. Okay? That's on my resume. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. No one could accuse the Apostle Paul of breaking any of the laws as they were written. No one could. Nobody could accuse him of any faults regarding God's law. He says, that's my resume. How do you like it? Now let's pause before we get to the next phrase. What would the list look like for someone that's a member of Windsor Baptist Church for confidence in the flesh? Think about it yourself. What would you put on your resume? The things that you have done. The things that you have accomplished. Who you are. Your pedigree. Any kind of do-it-yourself righteousness. What would be on your resume? On your CV? Your answer to that in your own mind um, is something that I just want you to to keep there. This do-it-yourself way of pleasing God because of this. Paul changed his mind, and he's saying, we must turn away from that way of thinking, okay? And now here's the thing. If you've said any of those things, if you've thought any of those thoughts, you're in good company, because most of us have thought about those things. Um, We know how God wants us to live, and it's so easy to creep into thinking that he is pleased by what we've done, and to have a clear conscience that rests on what we have done. It's a subtle trap, but he rescues us from it. Look at what he says. Um, He counted those things as lost for the sake of Christ. Verse 7. Now, most people outside of Christ, before we realize that we can boast in him, before we realize that he is our righteousness, that he is the one that pleases God and joins us to himself, before we realize that, you know those weight scales, the scales of justice that you see sometimes where there's like a bar and a bar here, and then there's chains that hold these plates, and they sort of weigh things out. Most people think that God is, has some kind of a system of justice like that, where we can put some things on one side, and we just kind of hope it's enough. And people think a little differently about this, like, I'm, I'm trying my best. I think God understands that. And that's how they understand his mercy. But, but I'm really trying hard enough, you know, and I'm, I'm really going to give it my best. And, and he'll understand But the thought is, I have to do enough to please God. But the scriptures don't say it works that way. Uh, Back to Jim's analogy of the birth certificate. When we trust in Christ, when we realize that what he has done, he has done for you and for me, and we rest the weight of our souls and our salvation on him and on him alone, he brings us into his family. He adopts us. Okay, and and maybe when you were when you were, before you were adopted, you were doing artwork for God. Maybe you were doing things in the flesh that you were hoping pleased God. You were trying to be a good person. You were trying to to think even with your mind, 
what will God think about this or that? That's good, you know? That's artwork, but it never earned God's favor. And when you're adopted, you can still do the artwork. You know, God loves it. He's, he's a father, and he, he takes it and he says, I love this. But that's not what makes you his child. That's not what brings you into his family. What brings you into his family is the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done. And by faith in him, you are adopted into his family, and you receive the paperwork, so to speak, to use that analogy. The adoption and what he has done is what makes you the child of God. We don't, we don't glory in the, in the artwork. We glory because he adopted me. We glory in Christ Jesus. So the Apostle Paul says, whatever I had that was gain, whatever I did to, to please God, I counted it. That's past tense. This is something I did the accounting. I tallied it up and I said, I counted it loss for the sake of Christ. He's saying, I used to think this way and my thinking changed. And so must ours. And as much as it creeps back in, we have to say, you know what? I changed my way of thinking. If you don't know Christ in this way, this is the change of thinking. It's, it's turning away from anything else to please God, and it's trusting in Christ alone. It's looking at Him. Whether you're a believer or you need to come to Him by faith, it's seeing Him and saying, He is more. That accounting term, he is more than anything I could do. In fact, he's going to say all that stuff is loss. It's worthless. He uses very vivid terminology. We'll get to that next week. But it's saying he's, he's more than all of that, and he's enough. And in fact, he's the only one who pleases God. And he does it for us. He does it to bring us along with him. Everything you have to show to please God, friends, Count it, banking, as loss. Have Christ and have nothing else. There is joy in living for God when you know the weight of pleasing Him is not on your shoulders. That's what this is about. So, he says, the beginning of this, of this passage, rejoice in the Lord. Just You can have joy. You can look at this, remember these things, and say, you know what? There is so much freedom because I'm not working to earn it anymore. He's done it. I'm loved. I'm adopted. I'm accepted. I'm going to make some beautiful art for him. And then you can live that way because the weight of it is not on you. So beware the dogs. Boast in Christ alone. And remember this better banking. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father in heaven, um, as we look at these things, we see very clearly in this passage, that um, what we need is, is a person. It's the Lord Jesus. Fill our minds and our hearts with a sense of satisfaction, the sense of rest and joy, rejoicing and boasting in Him alone. Father, as we sing, um, help us to, to reverberate this truth in our hearts that You are such a great Savior. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Gospel Now. Please give us feedback and your opinions on today's episode and the podcast thus far. If you like the podcast, please consider leaving a five-star review. We hope you have a great day.